listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. So we're going to get into this. I'm... I'm uh... This, this is something that's been like jumping up in my spirit. Uh, and then, you know, when you have that kind of a, a, a personality, it just, when you, when you see it taking place, it kind of grinds at you. And I'm sure many of you are like that if you keep coming back to this broadcast every day. Mike, good to see you. Wendy, April, um, Kelly and Bill Berardi, love you guys. James Clark, Bonnie Benedict, Ashley Shepard's in the house. Great to see you guys. Um, so I want, I want to jump into these things. I'm going to talk about it. But one thing, you know, before I get into the three things, uh, when I talk about being that Christian, before I get into those three things today, let me, let me say something else that, um, that really bugs me is I, I'm not a fan and I don't think God is either of, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it, that casual is casualness a word (laughs) that casualness that people carry in church that are you know, supposed to be ministering in any, in any aspect of platform ministry. I don't like, like casualness, if almost like a flippancy, is that a word? I'm just making words with it. Like being very flippant, um, not treating it as what it is. You know what? I don't like it when people act like it's not a big deal to be anointed. It bothers me to no end, like to no end. When people act like it's not a big deal to be anointed or to carry the anointing, or they even make it as though, you know, uh, that the anointing's not that big of a deal. I don't like, I guess the best way to say is like irreverence. You know, when people, I'll tell you, and I've just like gotten tired of seeing people not be reverent to the Holy Spirit. And I'll call it out now because I don't care. But like, you know, one of the things that, blows my mind is like, we'll be in a service, right? And I'll be, Hey Britt, we'll be, we'll be in a service and I'll, I'll have preached and everything. And, uh, literally the power of God is moving and people, you can feel the conviction of the Holy spirit in the service. And then it'll be like, we'll come to that moment, which is why, you know, the most important moment there is people coming to new life in Christ, getting saved And it's like, it blows my mind. It's like, I'll be calling people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's drawing men to be saved. And then all all of a sudden, you got people gathering up their stuff, their purses, their Bibles, making a dash for the parking lot. It's like, dude, this is not the time for you to be like first out of the parking lot. It's like people act like there's nothing going on when people are being saved. People are coming, some people coming with tears in their eyes crying, feeling the conviction of God, coming to the altar to give their heart to Jesus. And people are just like, oh, it's time to let's, let's go. Where are we going to eat today? It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it, it, it blows my, it blows my mind that people have no uh, reverence for the Holy Spirit of God. And that really, you know, a lot of times that's taught to us because there's churches now that are so casual. They're so casual in their approach to church, that that's what they've raised up is people that don't give a crap. They don't give a crap 
about the power of God. There's Ashley Melton. Love you. And I'm, I'm talking about this because one of the things, it is disrespectful, Lynn, and I agree with you. It's like, that's the whole point. Souls is the whole point. You're right. It, it, that's right. They just start, Messiah said, they just start conversations and talking over the music. It's exactly right. It's like we have trained up people that the moving of the Holy Spirit just isn't important or that the presence of God is not important or that we don't, you know, and then you got people that, you know, that they're not even, they don't care. You know, it's like they don't even care that the Holy Spirit is there. And really, if you want to know the truth about it, that's what many churches are doing right now. You have many churches that don't even care about the presence of the Lord. And they've literally compromised it. And so they don't have a move of the Holy Ghost in their church. They don't even want one. You know, they don't even want one. And so as a result, you know, you've got these churches that are dead and dry. You got churches that don't have any kind of presence of God manifested in their, in their services. And, um, I was looking at Ashley. She said she was in a Mark Hankins meeting one time. And when he was walking around, laying hands on people in the rows, a lady got on the phone in front of me. She said it took everything in front of me not to what to punch her. (laughs) I'm telling you, well, let me give you, yeah. Casually coming in late, just like goofing off. Let me tell you something. The ultimate, I was in a Bible school. I was at Rama Bible training center under, um, brother Kenneth Hagin, while he was still alive and um, teaching classes at that time. Hey, Nikki, it's great to see you. Yeah, seriously? Is that really true, Nikki? Did did you really see that happen? She said, bringing their Chick-fil-A nuggets into the sanctuary, dipping their nuggets during worship or preaching. Did you really see that happen? That's unbelievable. That's so next level. Bringing their Chick-fil-A into the sanctuary and dipping their nuggets during the service. That is mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing, Nikki. Hey, Jenna. So, you know, I was in Bible school. I was there in uh, these classes, and the, I, was, I was very happy to be able to be in those classes the last, what, two years before Brother Hagin went home to be with the Lord. And I'm sitting, right, I'm sitting in the, the um, we used to have his classes in a big sanctuary so they could get as many people into the room as possible. They wanted to make the best use of his time, obviously. And so he's the reason we all came. The Lord's, we want to receive impartation from this man of God. He was 85, 86 at the time. And I remember being on the edge of my seat, you know, while Brother Hagin is teaching uh, all of the revelation that he's received over the years, we're, we're getting to receive that. He's teaching on the Holy Ghost. He's teaching on prayer. He's teaching on the power of God and all these things. And I'm like on the edge of my seat, you know, scribbling notes, furiously taking all these notes, receiving. And um, I look around. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. This is good revelation. And I'm like looking around the room and, uh, and looking, trying to say, man, other people must be loving this too. And I'm looking around and there's people that are dead asleep. I'm not kidding you. I'm not talking about like they were spiritually asleep. They should have been. No, I mean like they were like, like gone, like gone. Like how are you in this school? You've come here to receive from this man. It's like, he's not the only teacher we had. We had many others, but you're now you're in his class and he's revealing to you revelation uh, that he's built up over 60 years of ministry and you're sleeping 
You're sleeping. I knew people. Now think about how stupid this is. I knew people that would miss school, miss those classes with him to, to go take more hour shifts at their jobs. It's like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? What is going on? And I can remember this. Now think about how dumb this is. We used to have uh, at the school two bells, right? So there was the first bell that would ring would be the five minute bell. And that's kind of lets the teachers know. I can't remember it was five or 10 minute bell. If anybody's on that went to school with me, you'll remember. But, um, and by the way, AJ, put that uh, scripture up for me because now I'm telling these stories. Put up the, uh, the, uh, the scripture from Samuel lightly esteem me and I'll, I will, uh, I'll forget your children. Um, but he, 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 the teachers would have a five or 10 minute bell to let them know to kind of wrap it up, um, because there were other classes. There's James Blanchard. Love you. And so, um, that, that five minute bell would kind of let everybody know, uh, it's, it's almost time to go. And the teachers would kind of finish their, 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 uh, teaching. And so I can remember that Brother Hagen would be teaching, and and that five minute bell or the ten minute bell, whichever it was, would would uh, would go off, and people would start packing up their stuff. It's like they they're like I'm done relieving, I'm uh, receiving, I'm checked out. They're, they're putting their caps on their pens, they're closing their Bibles, they're uh, packing up their notebooks, packing their briefcases and their purses, and I'm sitting there thinking like this is unbelievable, and and like the man is still teaching. And people have totally disconnected from the anointing, totally disconnected from what he's saying. And they're packing up and they're getting ready to go. And, you know, he's full. He was full of wisdom. He wasn't going to keep pouring out uh, wisdom and revelation where people were lightly esteeming uh, what he was saying. Or really, if you want to know the truth about it, disrespecting, disrespecting what he was saying. And so uh, I, many times and that's sad, sad to me. But, and when I say many, it's like many, many more than there should have been. He would see that. He would see that people were packing up and there's still like 10 minutes of class left, 10 minutes of teaching left. And, uh, uh, he start, people start packing up and he, you know what he would say? He'd say, well, I guess that's all you guys can receive today. And he'd fall, he'd literally close his Bible and close in prayer and walk off the platform and leave with 10 minutes left. I would get so irritated at people, you know, then you'd see the, oh, no, sorry. It's like, well, then if you didn't want that to happen, then stop doing that. You know, stop being so disinterested in the anointing that, you know, you don't even care. It, it blows my mind. And, and that's, the, that's the thought process that I'm talking about today. Is don't, we've got this idea that, uh, you know, we can just, it, it's almost like they treat the Holy Spirit like he has no feelings, like the Bible teaches we almost treat him uh, like he he can't be grieved. We treat him like he can't be upset by the actions or the way that we're treating his spirit or his presence. And so I'm in these I'm in these services thinking to myself like it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And then now things that I see as I was saying earlier, where you know you're having people come to Jesus, you're having people come to the altar, coming to be saved, and you got people that are standing up, pack same thing, packing up their stuff. Packing up their, uh, packing up their purses, packing up, their, taking their Bibles, zipping up their cases to get out to the parking lot. Got to think about where we're going to eat lunch today. Meanwhile, people are coming to new life in Christ and people don't care. And so now 
I don't even care anymore because I'm, t- I'm so, you know me, I'm so tired of it that I'm just like going off. I'll call them out in the middle of the service. Say, literally, stop where you're at. You know, I, I've called people out. And, and you know what? Because there's people, you know, it's funny to me. They're like, they got to get out. You know, they've been looking at their watch the whole service. Now they got to get out of the church. You know, I got to get to lunch, got to get home. For what? For nothing. For nothing. And um, Corey said some, some students would do the same in Tampa with Dr. Uh, Rodney Howard Brown. I understand that. It, blow, it, it blows my mind. And, and so, you know, what I do, you know what I'll do now? I'll stop the whole thing. I'll stop the whole thing. So, we brought, brother, we want people to be comfortable in church. People, some people ought to be very uncomfortable in church. And uh, let me just say, I'll, I'll stop it now. You know, people are coming to Jesus, and I'll see people in, the, in their rows, you know, filing, slowly filing out like a distraction. I'll say, uh, I'll say, hold on, everybody, let's wait. Let's wait for these people that don't really care that the Holy Spirit's moving to get to their car because apparently they got to get to Chick-fil-A, not, well, not Chick-fil-A, it's Sunday, but apparently they got to get to Denny's or wherever they're going, got to get home, you know, got to get back to their Netflix, whatever it is. So let's just wait for a second while everybody, all these people leave to get out to their cars so they can leave the parking lot before there's a traffic jam. I'll say it because I don't care. I don't care. It's so disrespectful to the work of the Holy Spirit of people that are being saved and drawn into the kingdom. Yeah, steak and shake. Like, oh, uh, real important that you get to steak and shake. Unbelievable. So I'll stop now. I don't care that they feel embarrassed. They should They should be embarrassed. So well, you're, you're embarrassing those people. Yes, that's the whole point. I'm embarrassing them publicly in front of the whole congregation because what they're doing is ridiculous. And it's displeasing to God. It's displeasing to the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, if you look at the way churches are in America right now, there are whole groups of churches that literally have zero interest, zero interest in the moving of the Holy Spirit. They've got no interest in it whatsoever. All they want is to be able to come in, have their little hour and 20-minute service, if that, some of them 50-minute services, I actually saw a church online that was advertising when they would let you go home. <laughs> it's like, bro, if you've got to d- tell us that we don't have to stay long, that we can leave very quickly, what's the point of even coming? What's the point of coming? If you've got to tell us when we can leave. That, that right there is so stupid to me. It literally blows my mind. Come to our church. We'll get you out in 50 minutes. Well, what the, what's the point of coming? It's Listen, it's not even worth it to me to wake up at my house, iron my clothes, get them on, get my kids together, or have my wife do so, her get ready, get in the truck, drive to the church. You know, all of that that I just described takes longer than the 50-minute service that they're having. Literally, it takes longer to do all that to get ready to come than their little 50-minute service. And I've got no interest in that. It's And it's absolutely trash is what it is. Because there ain't no way that they're giving the Holy Spirit time to move in their little 50-minute service. It's ridiculous. There's a man of God right there I see. Pastor Mike Childs, good to see you. And he's exactly right. They're building their little denomination Instead of building the house of God, they don't care. 
They don't care. They're not building the kingdom. They don't care about souls. And that's reflected. It's reflected in how uh, they react when people are being saved. It's reflected in how they've taught people to think about church, how they've trained them to think about God. They don't care. That's exactly right. Jonathan Gladys said they're catering to Michael's. And he's referring, I'm sure, to David's wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, that doesn't care whatsoever uh, about the presence of God. I mean, you think about, and that's a good analogy. I'll kind of riff off that for a minute, uh, Jonathan. But you think about 2 Samuel 6, where David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Basically, he just becomes the king and and he makes up in his mind, I'm not going to be the king of a nation that has no power, that has no anointing, that's got no glory. So he, he grabbed his elite soldiers together and goes to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says everybody is so thankful that the power of God is coming back into Jerusalem. Everybody's so happy, including King David. And he's dancing before the Ark with all of his might. The people are rejoicing. The Bible says if we're in 2 Samuel 6, he's out in front of the ark, way out in front, and he's coming into the entrance of the city, and the people are rejoicing with him. His men are rejoicing. He's rejoicing. The people are rejoicing. And then his uh, wife is watching from her room, and she's despising him in her heart for acting the way that he's acting. Forget the fact, I mean, literally, forget the fact that the glory of God is coming back to Jerusalem. Forget the fact that now there's going to be spiritual leadership instead of the leadership that was the glory of God had departed from. Forget all that. Forget the fact that now Israel will once again be on track with the heart of God. Forget all that. Yeah, but he was acting foolishly. Really? That's what you're going to focus on. That's what you're going to focus on is that, oh yeah, well, he was acting foolishly. I've had people come to our revivals. I mentioned it last night in, you know, joking. But I've actually had people come to our revivals and they'll see things take place. They'll see people saved. We're having people saved all the time. We're having people, miracles taking place. Just a few nights ago, a man's deaf deaf ears came open. I mean, all these things are wonderful things happening. And this is what you'll hear people say in the lobby or, you know, they'll comment on it to the pastor later. You know, you know, those meetings were, were pretty good, but you know, uh, they, they ran a little long. The meetings ran a little long for me. Really? <clears throat> That's what you're going to focus on. Not that people were saved by the, you know, depending on what church, by the dozens, by the, you know, tens, maybe over a hundred people, whatever it might be. Uh, don't focus on that. Forget that people got saved. Oh yeah. But you know, and, and people were healed. There were people delivered by the Holy ghost some that had suicidal spirits trying to attack their mind to take their own life, literally, the power of God's touching people. And then this is going to be the response to the pastor. You know, I, I, uh, I enjoyed it, but services were a little long for me and my family, you know. Really? So quit pray. So here's the thing. Quit praying for revival then. Quit praying that God will touch our nation. Quit. It's so funny to me that people can pray. Oh, Lord, touch our nation. Oh, Lord, send revival. Send a great awakening. And then revival comes, and it's a little long for you. It's like, blows my mind. Meanwhile, you know, I watched, it's like it's like people give uh, space for what they want, for what they're hungry for. 
I remember, and I'm a fan of like this kind of stuff. So if, if you judge me for it, whatever. But I'm a fan. Maybe you are. I like the, the, uh, the Lord of the Rings stories. I like the, the Hobbit stories and all that. I've read them all. I like, uh, I like uh, high fantasy literature. And so I've, I've read that stuff. And I remember watching the movies when they came out. I thought, man, those, those movies were made really well. And I remember watching the, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings films. Well, I can remember <clears throat> you know, however many years ago it is now that they released after the Lord of the Rings came out, they were releasing The Hobbit for the first time. And uh, the new one, the new Hobbit. And it was the first of the trilogy. Well, there was a theater near me in Virginia when I still lived in Virginia. And they had they were the only one that was going to do this. And they had like those reclining chairs and all that stuff. You know, they had like, like the lazy boy style chairs. And they were doing this. And um, they said, we're the only theater that's going to do this. But we're going to play for one day only. We're going to play all three of the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then at the end of the day, at night, when they had the right to do it, we're going to play the premiere of the first Hobbit movie. And you can come and buy a ticket. <clears throat> and it, because it was the extended editions, if you know anything about those films, they're long. You know, some of them are like four hours. And uh, there's three of them. And then the, and then the Hobbit. And so I, uh, me being the McDonald's lover that I am, knowing that I would be in the theater all day long, <laughs> I put on some cargo pants and a big jacket and went through the drive-thru and got like 12 McDoubles and just stuffed them in the pockets and everything. And I went in and bought the ticket <clears throat> to go sit down. And I thought, man, there's not going to be many people uh, that are, that are going to be here all day. It started at 11 a.m., I think, 11 a.m. in the morning. And I think it finished at midnight, something like that. And I went in and I'm thinking, man, that's a long time. Like some people are saying in the comments, that's a long time. And I was like, there's not gonna be many people here to probably do that kind of an experience. The place was packed. The place was packed out. And it started me thinking, <clears throat> it blows my mind that people will come and sit in a theater, sit in a theater for over 12 hours. It ended up being like 13, 14 hours. They'll sit in a theater for 13, 14 hours. They'll, you know, they'll sit there and watch intently, you know, let their bladders burst. They won't even go to the bathroom, sit there and let their bladders burst, watching to see what's going to happen next. And they won't come to a church service for two and a half, three hours, three and a half hours, whatever it is. And it was a little long for me. Nobody was saying that in the theater and it was 14 hours. And so it just proved to you that people have time for what they want to have time for. It's like, I'm here now. And I made a joke, <clears throat> not that people were doing this in this meeting, but uh, I made a joke because I'm in Shelby Township, Michigan. It's outside of Detroit, but my friend, it is not Detroit. <laughs> it's outside of Detroit. It's a distant suburb <laughs> of Detroit. And so <clears throat> it's like we're struggling to even find somewhere to eat after the service. We found a spot last night, Pastor, uh, someone in the church told us about it. And pastor didn't really know about it. And we went to it. It was like one of the only places around here open until 11 o'clock to eat. And so you start to think to yourself, everybody's like looking at, you know, not here, but like, you know, you go to places like this where people start looking at their watch and everybody's looking at their watch. When are we going to go? And it's like, where are you going to go anyway? 
You know what I mean? I made the joke last night. I said, you know, the Holy Spirit's moving. I said, but you don't need to go anywhere. I said, this is the best thing happening in Shelby Township, Michigan. By actual fact, everything else is closed. <laughs> everything else is closed. Where where do people need to go? Like, uh, explain it to me. Explain it to me. Where do people need to go? What do you need to go out to eat? What do you need to go back and get on Netflix? What do you need to go back and get in bed? It's like, where where do you need to go? Because you know people aren't going home and going to bed anyway. Nobody's going home and going to bed at 10 o'clock. You know as well as I do, people are staying up. I mean, unless you're one of those people that has to be up at like 4 a.m. or something. But the average person isn't going home and getting right into bed and turning the lights off and going to bed. They're going home, making food, watching shows, watching television, watching sports, getting online, scrolling through social media, all these different things. And you know they're not going to bed, going to sleep. And so where do you have to go? Where do people have to go? Meanwhile, people are like, well, we're believing for revival. We're praying for revival. And then, yeah, revival comes. And then people are like, well, it was a little long in my opinion. Well, then don't pray for revival. Pastor Sam Fitch said, it's amazing how many people can't hold their bladders during church either. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. It's like, don't pray for revival if you don't want revival. Just say, Lord, we're satisfied with the normal. I mean, that's that's what you might as well say. Yeah, exactly. James Blanchard said, if you need to eat, have the food truck come to the meetings. I'm with it. I'm down with it. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, what do people need to do? And they, I know what they need. They need the power of the Holy Ghost. You look around this world right now at the people that are literally uh, dying. They're being destroyed. They're being attacked by the devil. The, the spirit of this world coming against the population. And people are like, well, you know, it was a little, or they'll come and say, you know, Pastor, we really enjoyed the revival, but you know, it was a really, it was a really a little bit loud for us. Really, that's going to be your takeaway from the revival. After people are saved, after people are healed, after people are delivered, after people are blessed, and the thing that you're going to focus on is that it was a little loud. Really, really, yeah, you're right. We should we should really uh, quiet the church down. I'm sure the Lord was bothered in heaven by all the noise. You know, I'm sure God is on his throne, glancing over at Jesus, just shaking his head. Did you know what the decibel level is in that sanctuary right now? Unbelievable. Blows my mind. And what we need is the power of God. But people don't care. You have people, and I'm not saying everybody, because there are people that love it and are hungry for it and are fasting for it and are praying for it. But when you see these people, that while people are coming to the altar being saved and they're just literally you know, waltzing out the back, packing up their stuff as if this is just an unimportant. It's like the, the, for them, it's like the credits rolling in a movie at the end of a movie theater movie. It's like, well, it's time to go to the car. No, it's not the credits. This is why we came. This is why we're here to see people raised up to new life in Christ. People healed, people delivered. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And people don't reverence the power of God. They're not reverencing the power of God. Chad Lang said the power of the Spirit of God is the only thing the church needs in this hour. And he's exactly right. He's exactly right. Nothing matters but the anointing. Nothing. Nothing. Because if anything else mattered as much as the anointing, the church wouldn't be necessary. If you could counsel demons out, then a therapist would do. A psychiatrist would do. A counselor would do. But you can't counsel spirits out of somebody's body. 
You can't counsel sickness away. You can't put your trust in the arm of flesh. Jeremiah 17 and verse five. Cursed is the man who puts his trust in the arm of flesh and in doing so turns his back upon God. And so you see this stuff and it's like, what in the world are people thinking? What do they need to get to? Where do they need to go that they've got to rush out of church before church is even over? Honor. And then the other thing that bothers me, you look at it and it's like, because people are so flippant about the anointing and they're so, uh, you know, it's just so casual, so casual. It's sickening to me. I'm be honest with you. It's sickening to me. And I've been a little bit, um, you know, but people have asked me for, for a long time now, people have asked me, why do you wear suits and ties and wear, you know, well, you know, you could just wear jeans and a t-shirt. Why do you wear suits and ties? And part of it, it's not because the Lord requires preachers to wear suits and ties. I'll tell you that are watching me right now. Part of the reason that I'm, you know, a young guy, but I'm still wearing suits and ties is because I refuse to allow myself to be pulled into the casual thought process of this generation. I'm not going to be that guy that's so casual about the presence of God. Everything's casual. You know, I've had people tell me we're very casual here. I understand that. I understand that. But I'm not going to let, and it has nothing to do. There are people that dress casually that are serious about the power of God. I mean, I'm not saying that's, that's, you have to do that, but it's something I've done for me, something I've done for me. What's the same principle? If you've ever listened to the business principle is dress for where you want to be or dress for success. You know, they've proven that there's actually a psychological difference when you get up, even if you have to work from home, if you don't do it in your pajamas, if you get up and shower and you put on, you know, work clothes, you dress up and sit down at the desk or table or whatever, they've actually shown that there's a psychological difference in that person in the kind of work they do when they've prepared themselves for work. And so it's, it's, it's very true. I, I often think of the story of Smith Wigglesworth, who uh, was staying with a South African preacher named Brother Duplessis. And he was in his house staying. And Brother Duplessis tells the story that in the middle of the night, there was a bang on his bedroom door at like 3 a.m. And Smith Wigglesworth walked in dressed in a three-piece suit holding his Bible, and then gave uh, a prophetic word to Brother Duplessis while he's in bed. Gave the word, closed his Bible, left the room, shut the door. And then hours later, uh, went down to breakfast. And when he came down to breakfast, they noticed he just had dress pants on and an untucked dress shirt. And he said, well, Brother Wigglesworth, I saw you hours ago and you had your three-piece suit on. He said, yeah, but I was on a mission for God then. See, he had an understanding. He knew what he was doing. He was representing the Lord that he was ministering. And, it, you know, it's also, it, it doesn't make any sense. Dressing casually doesn't make you any more relevant, in all honesty. It doesn't. They try to act like, I've watched as they've tried to, you know, younger people have tried to force older pastors to dress more relevant. And meanwhile, you've got a 60-year-old guy in ripped jeans and a long T-shirt with like Toms on. It's not even him. You say, well, you'd reach way more people, Pastor, if you'd become more relevant. It's like ridiculous because it's not your clothing that makes you relevant. Do you honestly think, 
Now, let me make this point. Do you honestly think that it's people, young people can't receive from somebody if they're in a suit and tie? If that's the case, there must be nobody watching Sports Center then, right? There must be no young people watching Sports Center. Well, I could really receive from those guys. I'd really be able to listen to the sports highlights, but those guys with those suits, I just can't, I just can't get with it. There's probably no young people watching Jimmy Fallon, right? Because of, because he has a, a, a suit and a tie on. Par- apparently, there's no young people watching Jimmy Fallon because of the fact he wears a suit and tie. It's a stupid thought process. It, it doesn't even make sense, and it's not true. You're not more relevant because of your outfit. The anointing makes you relevant. And I want you to put it in the comments. Every person that's watching right now, the anointing makes you relevant. It's the anointing of God. It's the anointing of God. It's not what jeans you have on. It's not if you have a suit and tie. has nothing to do with what you're wearing. The anointing makes you relevant. Amen. The anointing makes you relevant. That's what it is. I want to read that verse of scripture that, um, <clears throat> that AJ put up for me. It's 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. Listen to this. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. But listen to it. In other translations, it flips that phrase. Listen to the other, like for example, the NET. Uh, I will honor those who honor me, but those who despise me will be cursed. But listen to it in the, in the NLT. It says, I will honor those who honor me and despise those who think lightly of me. Who think lightly of me. Not that oppose me, that, that think lightly of me. It's amazing to me. Let me read the NASB. I will honor those who honor me. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And so the Lord takes into account how we treat him. He takes into account how we treat his spirit. God takes into account how we reverence his presence. He doesn't go uh, just anywhere and manifest his power. There's actually an atmosphere you can create where the spirit of God cannot move. You can see that in Mark chapter six, verse one through six. That's where Jesus goes to his own hometown and the way they viewed his presence, the way they looked at him, what they put on him caused him to not be able to do any miraculous things. And there's, and I'm telling you, you see how flippant people are in the anointing now. And it's mind blowing. People like walking around, you know, if pastors praying, if they, if we're praying to the almighty God, you know, it's, it's sad to me because what ended up, what truly happened, and I'm sure you guys, if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. You might've come out of, and it's funny because there's always a cycle of change. It's like our parents, and then we don't want to do what our parents did, but then our kids don't want to do what we did. And it's like, you know, every, every generation is trying to do the opposite. But like maybe you grew up and came out of very liturgical church. Maybe you came out of very religious feeling church. 
And it was, you know, they had all the, all of the litur- liturgy, like, you know, you had the, uh, all the really religious stuff, the responsive reading and all the, you know, it was communion every Sunday and then, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, and maybe you came out of that and, and then our generation tried to rebel away from that. So what did they do? They started to try to make churches that were like clubs and we wanted rock and roll and we wanted, uh, you know, we wanted pop music in the church and we wanted light shows and we wanted smoke machines. But you know what's crazy is that if you look at the generation below me, what they would call like Gen Z and all that, those Christians are actually now wanting to go back to church that looks like church. They've polled the Gen Z people and you know what they found out? They don't want a church that looks like a club. They don't want a church that's, you know, dark and you know what they're going back to? The Gen Z want a church that looks like a church. They want the steeple. They want the stained glass. They want to have doctrine preached to them and not feel good messages or shallow series. They want to get immersed in orthodoxy and doctrine. And it's mind-blowing because we have created a generation of people that are so flippant about the anointing, so flippant about the power of God that it's it's that kind of a thing where it's like people just kind of just sit back on you in church, just sip on their latte and, you know, it's like a show. It's like a show. It's not a show. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And see, it's, it's really, if you think about how demonic this is, that that seeker-sensitive church movement was created where we were trying to curate our church services so that we could make unbelievers comfortable. That was the goal. We need to get them in the seats. We need to get them in the seats. We need to get them in the seats. Well, their ultimate goal, we want to see people saved. But here's the problem is that how are you going to go about doing that? Are you going to do it the Bible way where the Bible says that we go out into the highways, byways, compel them to come in and then God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. You know, there's a problem if a church is so flippant about the anointing and if a church is so casual that somebody can come in who's been living in sin and can continue to live in sin while they attend the church every week and feel no conviction to change. They will not come to the altar. They don't even feel the, the, um, they don't even feel the tug. Why? Because many of these churches in an effort to make people comfortable have cut out things like preaching against sin. Everything's a feel good message and there's nothing wrong with feeling good. If you're a Christian, there's nothing wrong with being encouraged. If you're a Christian, There's nothing wrong with being stirred up in your spirit if you're a Christian. But what do you do if you're not serving God? What good does it do to have sinners coming to your church week after week and continuing to preach feel-good messages, encouraging messages? At some point, there should be a gospel message that is preaching against sin. There should be at some point a message that draws the heart of man to Jesus Christ. That's what uh, Paul said, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. But the gospel is a very specific message. It's not every, you know, one of the things we've made up a mistake in thinking is that 
anything that a preacher preaches out of the Bible is the gospel. That's not true. That's not true by a long shot. That's not true by a long shot. Anything you preach out of the Bible is not the gospel. The gospel is a specific message. And the gospel is not a complex message. It is just this, that God sent the word who was made flesh. He was born of a virgin, Mary. He lived a sinless life. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He never sinned. That's important. People, the people today trying to act like Jesus wasn't a perfect man. He never sinned. It's like this nut job that's got on uh, TikTok. He's trying to go around, you know, telling everybody, maybe you saw the TikTok, telling everybody, you know, Jesus uh, was a racist and used racist terms when he was speaking to the Syrophoenician woman by calling her a dog. And then J- Jesus had to repent of his racism and uh, then go and he's like, you're a nut job. You're an absolute nut job. And of course, people like that kid have to change their doctrine of what they believe about the Bible and about Jesus because you can't be uh, a Christian and actively engaged in the LGBTQ community. It's, you can't do it. You can't change the Bible to fit your own pet sins. And so, of course, people want to act like that that aren't living for the Lord. But, you know, it's important to know that he lived a sinless life. If he didn't, his blood was not uh, worth shedding. He could not have shed his blood for the remission of your sins. And then he was crucified. He shed his blood on Calvary's cross. And the Bible says when he shouted, it is finished, that it was done. He gave up the ghost and then three days later was resurrected. And through that resurrection power, we have now salvation in Jesus Christ. If we confess him as Lord, if we believe that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And now we know he's coming back soon. It's a very simple message. I just gave you the whole gospel message in about 35 seconds. It's not complex. It's a a simple message. But the preaching of that message will actually draw men to repentance. The preaching of that message, according to Paul, is the power of God unto salvation. But no, we don't want to preach against sin because, you know, that would make people uncomfortable. And then, you know, they wouldn't keep coming to get in the pew and give their tithe check so we can keep paying payments on this building that we can't afford to draw the big crowd that we wanted by having more muffins and coffee in the lobby and more secular songs from the platform. And that's what we've got going on in some churches. Do you know, do you know that there are churches that literally will open their services and in their services do secular music from the radio, praise and worship, the quote unquote praise and worship team, I'm using that term extremely loosely, will we'll actually do uh, secular songs, secular songs to start the services. Well, we want to just kind of reach them where they're at. Really, you want to reach them where they're at. What a stupid idea. That's a stupid idea. Is that they don't care that that's the platform of God. That's the altar of God. And you're going to stand up there and sing songs written by sinful men that carry a sinful message. You know, when you open your service with ACDC, there might be a problem. Liz said there's a church who plays Mark Anthony for worship in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's stupid. Stupidity has filled some churches. There was a pastor who literally, 
And I, I tried to tell people back then something wrong with him. Nobody would listen to me. There's a pastor who literally saw uh, an, an alcoholic man, a drunk man on the street. And he said, you know what? I want you to come to my church. I don't care that you're an alcoholic. I'm going to actually buy you some alcohol. And then you can come and you can even drink it on the front row while you listen to me preach. And bought the man, I can't remember if it was a six pack or bought him a 40 and gave it to the guy and invited him to church. Oh, that's so edgy. That's so wonderful. Look how, look how he's reaching people. And literally had this guy come to his church and uh, sit on the front row and drink while he's preaching the gospel. Because, so, well, we're just trying to get them in. We're trying to reach them where they are. Well, here's the question. At what point, because here's how dumb some of those leaders are. They don't even think this stuff out to the logical end. Because where's the line? Okay, that's where that man was struggling. But what do you do? What if they're struggling with drug addiction? I'm going to buy you some cocaine. We'll get you a mirror. And while I'm preaching... We can put that mirror down on the, on the, we'll get you a little, we'll get you a little table and a credit card and you can sprinkle that cocaine out onto the mirror and you can just snort a few lines while I'm preaching. I mean, literally how far are you going to go with it? What if the man struggles with lust? We're going to get a pole right here by your seat. We're going to install a pole. We're going to have a stripper come and she's going to dance on the pole while I'm preaching. And you can you can sit there and maybe even get a lap dance while I'm preaching the message because we just want you in the church. See, these people are so dumb, they don't even think about it. To what's the logical end to what's going on in the in this in this thought process of how we're reaching the world? We're not reaching them with that. That's not what changes men. That's not what brings people into the kingdom. You have to denounce sin. You have to preach against sin. And here's what people don't want to hear that you don't need to make sinners comfortable. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're not called to make sinners comfortable. We are called to preach the truth in love, but that truth will convict sinners. There's, let me tell you something, and you know this, at the moment you were saved, you remember this. There's nothing more uncomfortable than being convicted for your sins or of your sins. There's nothing more uncomfortable than being convicted of your sins. Trying to make people comfortable, that's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's causing people, it, really what it's doing, it's creating a false church that is no church because they're not even doing what Jesus commanded. Now, if you're not doing what Jesus commanded, are you even the church? That's the question you have to ask. If you're not even willing to do what Jesus commanded, are you even the church? What about these churches? They're ordaining into ministry homosexual men and lesbian women. Give, ordaining them, giving them credentials, letting them pastor churches, letting them minister to people. You honestly think that's the church of God? And I don't mean the denomination. I'm talking about the church of God at large. You think that's the church of the Lord? You think they're a part of the church of the Lord? Ordaining homosexuals, which is clearly condemned. It's one of the most obvious, obviously condemned things in the Old and New Testament. Homosexuality. You think that that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ doing that? Foolishness. And people are so deceived. They clap. Oh, isn't that wonderful? 
how diverse the church is becoming. It's not becoming diverse. It's that they're leaving the church. If they were ever a part of Christ, they are no longer a part of Christ. If they were ever a part of the vine, they've been severed. Trust me on that one. Whether you're a reformed Calvinist and you believe that it was a false conversion and they were never really truly saved uh, the whole time, or whether you're a, a you know Pentecostal believer that believes that you can lose your salvation and be disconnected from the vine who is Christ. Either way, they're not a part of the vine. You can't live so flippantly and so casually about the word of God and the spirit of God that you think you can do whatever you want. And that's what we've, uh, you know, raised up in the church is a generation of people that think they can just do whatever they want and God's cool with it because they don't understand the truly the nature of God. That's exactly right. Nikki said, and all these people think that they're saved because their pastors say they are when there's been no repentance. You know, can I tell you another thing? Since we are ranting today, I'm just kind of ranting, but I'm going to give you another thing. I'm very careful about what I say when I give an altar call and the prayer that we pray when we're leading people to Jesus. You know, people are so spineless in our generation when they give an altar call blows my mind. I've actually been in services where this was the altar call. Now you tell me what part of this called anybody to live a life for Christ. This was the actual uh, call. How many of you know life is hard, amen? How many know life is, is hard? It's hard enough, you know, to do life alone. So how many of you just know, you know, that you're tired of doing life alone, amen? Just raise your hand. How many of you are tired of doing life alone? And I'm gonna just invite you to come, if they even do this. I'm gonna invite you to come to the altar of God today. You know, if you're tired of doing life alone, we want you to come. We want you to know you don't have to do life alone. There's a community of people here that love you. There's a community of people here that care for you. And if you're tired of doing life alone, it makes me sick even just saying it to you on the broadcast. That's not repentance. That's not salvation. What is that? I don't even know what that is. I don't even know how you would term that except dumb. You're tired of doing life alone? What a stupid, that's not, that's not an altar call. What does that even mean to the person who's sitting in the seat? And what did you preach that was so weak that that's the kind of a call that you have to give? We're giving the call now for those that are tired of doing life alone. It's like, what is that going to produce? What is that going to produce? You've got to call out to those. And that's why I'm just telling you, anybody that I know that's been successful in winning the lost has to call it out. And, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm very plain about it. I used to be. I'll tell you, I, I'm not, I'm teachable. I, I've kept myself teachable. And, uh, I remember one time when I was a younger minister, I was, I was with a minister who has shaken his whole nation, shaken his whole nation, has the largest church in his nation and, um, and in the surrounding ones. And, and I was with him and we were having a revival and uh, we were having people saved and we were having people healed. And I said, well, when I went out to lunch with him, I said, um, what, what kind of advice would you give me? Because I was probably like 
if I wasn't like 29, I was probably early 30s. And I said, what kind of advice would you give me? You know, you've, you've done so well, and he was in the 60s. He said, well, you're doing a great job. He said, but if there was anything you wanted me to tell you, if I could think of something, he said, it would be this. Be, this, now this was his word to me. I want you to hear what he told me. He said, be even more specific when you're giving your altar calls for salvation. He said, don't be broad. Don't be broad. Be specific. Call out sin and tell them it's time to repent. And I see up until that point, you know, one of the things you kind of think is, you know, hey, the, the, the more broad you make the, the call or the appeal, uh, the more people will be able to respond to the altar, you know, to the, to the appeal you're giving. And so, you know, I would, I would, the verbiage that I would use would be very, you know, maybe you're, you, you, you know, you know, for example, I'd start by salvation. How many know you need, you need Jesus, you need to go to heaven, but then there's others, you know, maybe they need to rededicate your life and then others, you know, you need, you need a touch from God or, you know, you need to be refilled. And so it's this big call for all these things. He said, be very specific and call out to people that need to repent, call out to people that need to be forgiven of their sin. And, um, he said, don't be embarrassed. He said, we've got people that are driving in from hours away that know there's going to be, he told me this. He said, there's people that are coming in that know that there's going to be an appeal for repentance, for salvation. And they're waiting for that call because they know they need to give their life to Jesus. And I accepted his, I accepted his correction and his, uh, accepted his advice. And we'd already been having great altar calls of people being saved. But I got up that next night and uh, no playing around. When it was time to give that altar call, I called out. I said, there's people here, there's sin in your life. You're not ready for heaven. You're not ready to see Jesus. If Jesus came today, you would not be ready to see him. You would end up in hell, not heaven. I went hard on it thinking, well, you know, I'll do what he says. I don't know how it's going to turn out. And I gave that call for repentance. There was probably about, uh, you know, there were thousands of people there. And do you know when I gave the altar call in the way that he directed me, the, the altars were packed with people coming to give their life to Jesus Christ. And it was a lesson and a sign to me that you have to go at it full force. You have to do what the Bible says. You have to call out sin and you have to provide a way of repentance for the sin. Even when we pray, you know, I've heard people pray salvation prayers and I'm thinking they're not even, they didn't repent. They're not saved. You understand? Like, Father, we know that the world is rough. Pray this with me, guys. We know that the world is rough. There's hard times ahead. We know that the devil's out there going about as a roaring lion. But Lord, we don't want to be alone. We don't want to be without your presence. So would you come be with us today? I mean, like that that's not a salvation prayer. That's not a salvation prayer. So I may, I'm very careful that we do specific things as we're praying. Number one, I have them thank God that he sent Jesus because without Jesus, there's no salvation. And I know that's not part of the salvation prayer, but he ought to be thanked for taking that sovereign action of sending Jesus to us when he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. God didn't have to send Jesus. He chose to send Jesus. And so I take time in every altar call to thank God for sending his son. 
I thank him because without that, there is no salvation. And after we thank God for sending Jesus, I make sure to say, Father, I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. We repent. Jesus preached a gospel of repentance. Repent. So we repent of sin. We ask for God's forgiveness. And then I go on further. I don't miss this point because Paul taught this. And then I have them confess from their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because that's what the Bible says to do. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And then what? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I have them confess it. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I confess he is Lord. And I believe, God, that you raised him up from the dead. Paul said that those two things are necessary in the conversion of a man. And so we repent of sin. We don't try to act like sin's not there. Lord, we just need strength. We just need to be strengthened. No, we don't need strength. We need repentance. We need to confess that Jesus is Lord, and we need to believe that God raised him from the dead. And then I have them, you know, I added this in just to get it in their mind as well. I'll have them speak to the devil right at the altar and tell him, take your hands off of my life. I'll have them come in now that they're saved. I'll have them step out in authority first thing. Take your hands off my life. You're trespassing on God's property now. I'm never coming back to an old way of living. Why? Because the temptation is going to be there to go back to what you used to do. And we're not going back. Amen. We're not going back. But understand something. You've got to be very clear about it. You've got to be very clear about it. And we've, we've watered it down. Do you know? Now, let me tell you something that's sad. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. Let me tell you something that's sad. I've preached for multiple pastors, multiple pastors, who have said to me with, with surprise, wow, I'm really glad you gave an altar call for salvation. And then they'll say this, I can't tell you how many guest ministers I've had into our church who don't give altar calls anymore. That's not something I, that's rarely heard by me. I hear that all the time from guys. But wow, so happy you gave an altar call. You know, many of the preachers we have in now, they don't give altar calls anymore. They don't call for salvation. Do you know what they've said? We've had many other evangelists in that don't that don't give altar calls for salvation. And I'll just straight up tell them now, you did then you didn't have an evangelist. You had some kind of a traveling speaker or something, but it wasn't an evangelist. Because evangelists call people to Christ. They call them to Christ. It's a sad thing. We've been either intimidated out of giving altar calls, or people are just afraid somebody won't come to the altar. You ever think about how stupid of an idea that is? Well, I'm, I'm nervous to give an altar call because what if nobody responds? Who cares? You know, it's like, I remember when I was really young, I thought that way. Like, well, I don't know. I, I, maybe, what, if, what if I give an altar call and nobody comes to the altar? Who cares? What if everybody in the church is already saved? What are you going to try to contrive? Are you going to try to like convince somebody they're not saved so that they'll come to the altar? If they're saved, they're saved. It's like going to a table. It's, you know, it's as dumb as like being a waiter and going to the table that you've been waiting on and going up and saying, hey, uh, I'm really nervous to ask this table if they want dessert because what if nobody responds? 
It's like, who cares? It's just the fact that everyone at that table is full and they don't want dessert. It's not on you. They don't want dessert. It's the same thing. Why would you be embarrassed to give an altar call and say, well, what if nobody responds? What if nobody there is unsaved? <laughs> Which sadly is the case in some of our churches today, that everybody there is already a Christian. And it's a whole nother rant I could do that the fact that people need to be bringing unsaved people to church. But don't be, why would you ever be embarrassed about that? So I don't know what if I give all, nobody comes. Maybe they're all saved. But you're still giving the opportunity for people to be saved. Remember, the, I came out of high school, went to Bible school, came back to my high school after one year of Bible college. And my high school asked me to come and to speak in our Bible club. And it's a public high school. We had hundreds of kids in the Bible club. And I got, uh, I would get out of churches that don't give altar calls, Liz. They obviously don't care about the, the lost. How are people being saved? How do people get saved? How do they repent? What opportunity is there for people to come into the kingdom? And if you're in a church that doesn't care about getting people saved, get out of it and get to another church that cares about it, that actually calls for people to be saved and disciples them, cares about following up and raising up disciples. Because understand something, that's what Jesus taught. We're not to make converts of all nations, we're to make disciples of all nations. That's the key. And so if it were me, I'd find a church that cares about the lost. I really would, and I would go there. See, if there's none around me, move. I'm not above telling, I tell people all the time, move. And base where you live on a Holy Ghost church that you're gonna be a part of. When I came back to my high school, uh, that was packed with kids, and I stood up to preach, and I can remember that uh, I preached on don't make Jesus vomit, <laughs> Revelation 3.16. Uh, don't be uh, lukewarm, either be hot or be cold. And uh, I remember standing there as a young man, I was probably at that time 19, and I'm standing there in front of hundreds of my peers, some that I still went to, to high school with, and I gave that altar call for salvation. I remember doing it. And I could feel that, that fear, like, what if nobody responds? And I knew there were people that needed to. And as I gave that altar call, nobody moved for like a period of time, like nobody moved. And I was like getting embarrassed, like, oh, I gotta shut this down and get out of here. Like nobody's even responding to my preaching. When all of a sudden one girl got out of her seat, uh, she was dressed like in Gothic, you know, black fingernails, black clothes, black makeup, all that black dyed hair and came to the altar with tears coming down her face and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Well, when she did that, I was, I was happy with just that salvation. Just that one made me happy. And I was getting ready to close the altar and pray. And the Holy Spirit said to me in an inner witness, he said, don't, don't close it down yet. I'm still working on people. Keep it open. Keep calling people to Jesus. And I kept it open by faith. I knew God's working on people. Well, I'm telling you moments later, people started getting up all around that high school auditorium and coming to the altar to be saved. Started coming to the altar. And we probably had over 100 students standing there at a public high school auditorium giving their heart to Jesus Christ. Now, if I'd have been embarrassed, now think about it. If I'd have been too embarrassed to give an altar call, nobody would have been saved. If I would have been trying to quickly close it down and get out of there because only one person responded, I'd have missed out on all the people that the Lord was working on. Don't be embarrassed 
to lead people to Jesus. Don't be embarrassed, even at work, even at school, even on the street, wherever you're a minister for God. Don't be embarrassed of what the Lord has told you to do and called you to do. You're anointed. And see, I'm thankful for you because those of you that we call the victory tribe, those that log on to this broadcast daily, you obviously are not the people I'm talking about because you have a hunger for the move of God. You have a hunger for the spirit of God. And it makes me happy. Makes me happy to see you get on here every day hungry for a word and that you're driving in. We have people that are driving in hours and hours to be in these revival services. Four hours, five hours, three hours, one way to be in revival. That shows hunger. And so I commend you because obviously you're not the ones that I'm preaching or teaching about today. You're not those that are flipping about the anointing. You're not those that are, uh, you know, out there casually trying to just, you know, get in and out of a 50 minute service. You're hungry. And I thank God for you. And I know that because of your dedication to the kingdom and your reverence of the spirit of God and your hunger for his presence, guess what? According to this scripture, that God will honor those who honor him. He will honor those who honor him. That means you. If you're honoring God with your actions, with your words, with your deed, he's going to honor you. Did you know the Bible says that God keeps a book of remembrance and he's writing down the actions of the righteous, the righteous actions of those that love him. And he repays those that are dedicated to his kingdom. It's a good repayment. It's a blessing when God blesses those who are dedicated to him. And so that's what I'm going to pray for today, that in this year of 2021, that this would never come upon you. First of all, I'm going to pray that this thought process that's tried to sweep through our nation and around the world, it will never come on you. This whole feeling, this whole flippant, casual Christianity, it'll never touch you. It'll never touch your house. That you will stay on fire. You will stay on fire for the Holy Ghost. That you'll keep pressing in and God will keep on touching you and blessing you. And he will. He'll honor those who honor him. That's you. And so let me pray for you today. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord. For every one of the faithful who we call the victory tribe, I pray that for all of us, that you would keep a fresh fire in our spirits and in our hearts. Keep a fresh fire in us. Lord, don't let us ever become uh, too flippant, too casual about what you're doing on the earth. Don't ever let us become those that are disinterested in your power, in your presence. Don't ever let us become disinterested in people being saved or coming to the altar. Let it always, what breaks your heart, break our heart in Jesus' name. I pray you use us in these final days mightily. Open doors for us and give us the opportunity to increase the kingdom. Let souls come in supernaturally in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for calling us. We thank you for using us. Now, Lord, I pray for those that are on today those that need a touch in their body, I pray that healing would flow into them right where they are. I curse sickness and disease, command it to loose its grip off of their body. Let this word, let the spirit get into their flesh, make them whole. Father, I pray for those that have been battling in their mind, and there are many that have been battling heaviness through this pandemic, that have been battling anxiety and fear through the pandemic. Touch them today with a new joy and a new peace in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, those that are believing for increase financially, as they sow their seeds, we thank you that you're going to bring increase to them, that they'll be more blessed than they ever were. Touch faith, Lord, as she goes in for that interview. And Father, I pray that you give her the job, best pay, best benefits, bless faith in Jesus' name. Those that have written in with prayer requests, Lord, touch them by your power. Touch them by your power. And from this day, we declare that we are the remnant that will never grow cold, that'll never fall away in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and we give you praise. Amen. If you receive it, throw some fire in the comments, throw some uh, hands up. Look at that. Diane giving a testimony. I got instant healing in my body, my muscles, in my legs and body. Thank God. Somebody ought to praise God with Diane for that testimony. Instant healing in her muscles. Thank you, Jesus. Jennifer said, agree with me. My house, debt-free before I turn the key. Believing with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you to sow today. Sow a seed by faith. This has been a wonderful week. Last week, we were in Indiana. Pastor Sam and Jess Fitch. It was powerful. Enjoyed it. Can't wait to be back next year. This week's been wonderful. We're in Shelby Township, Michigan at Lakeside Assembly of God. Uh, love Pastors Phil and Becky Christ doing a, doing a wonderful job. They've been here over, what, 30 years, over 30 years, pastoring, being faithful in the kingdom. And uh, people have been being saved this week. Last night, again, people coming to the altar, giving their heart to Jesus. And uh, it's been wonderful. But we're taking the gospel around the world. We're taking the message of Christ to those that may not even have it. Now that we're preaching on television, we're preaching all over the world. And it's amazing to me. We've um, Tiffany that works with us was giving me some numbers yesterday. People are writing in from all these different places around the world where the TV broadcast is showing. And we're getting contacted from all of these different nations. And now all of our digital discipleship is done. And now we're going to be discipling people digitally every single week. It's powerful, man. God's gave, given us a plan and a strategy to disciple the new converts. And so you're a part of it. And I want to encourage you today. So by faith, so by faith right now, ask the Lord what it is that he would have you to sow. Ask him, what would you have me to sow today? And then you know how to do it. If you're on Facebook, which is the only place we're broadcasting today, uh, you can use hashtag donate in the comments. You can always go to the website, miracleword.com. And you can sow a seed. You see it there, uh, a pinned comment. It's miracleword.com forward slash give. Uh, you can use Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, Zelle, however you'd like to do it. All of the uh, ways to give are found on the website too. So if you just go to miracleword.com forward slash give, you'll see it. Or just click give in the menu and you'll be able to do that. But uh, I want you to stand with us because time's running out. The gospel's a limited time offer. And one of the things I want you to pray about is I want you to pray about partnering with Carolyn and with me as we're preaching around the world and touching people with the power of God on a monthly basis. Just ask the Lord, what is it that I could do every month, every single month that would help get the message out and see people come into the kingdom? And then easily you can go to miracleword.com and when you partner with us, you can create your own account and set up whatever monthly amount you'd like to sow uh, to stand with us 
as we're preaching the gospel. And you're a part of that. That's why I say that. You're a part of the gospel going out when you stand with us in sowing. And uh, so we appreciate and love you very much. Listen, uh, it's Tuesday. Today and tomorrow are the last two days that you can order the kids Easter boxes on uh, Miracle Word Kids uh, Easter boxes. And it's in our store, shop.miracleword.com. And uh, we have a few left that you can get. People have already been getting a bunch of them. We're shipping them out. I think some people already got theirs in the mail. Uh, but there's two different ways that you can get them. One with a t-shirt, one without. Thank you, Jennifer, for sowing a seed. Thank you, Leslie, for partnering with us. We love you. Um, but make sure you get it before it runs out. And today and tomorrow's it. After tomorrow, you can't get them anymore. We won't be able to get them to you. So go grab yours. And uh, it will... It'll be awesome because there's a lot of stuff in there for the kids and you can see it all when you go to the website, all the stuff we've packed in and uh, we just want to bless them, bless all the children. For everybody that's sewing and partnering, uh, we're sending you Brother Hagin's book, The Will of God in Prayer. And for those sewing largely, we're going to send you a genuine leather uh, NLT, Life Application Study Bible. I not only have the hard copy now, I got it on my laptop, I got it on my iPad, got it on my phone. We're live every night this week, 7 o'clock. We want to see you. If you can make it, drive in. Be with us. We've already had people do that, and it's been great to see the Victory Tribe coming into the services. Um, all the information's on the website, the details, the address. It's been great. So we want to see you. I love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me today. And uh, if you're listening to me on the podcast, you can actually scroll up. And in the description, there's all the links. If you'd like to sew, if you want to stand with us, so much we have for people in uh, in the way of resources, YouTube videos, uh, the app is updated, all kinds of stuff. And so uh, we have so much for you, Miracle Word Radio, all of our archive teaching. Uh, and so make, it's all in the description of the podcast. But if you'd like to sew, all of the sewing information is also in the podcast description. We love you guys. Have a great day. I'll see you tonight. Thank you, Sean, for sowing a seed. Um, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern time on all social media networks. Love you so much. Talk to you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.